we're back here with Dr. Andrew Chen, MIT professor, president of Edutron, renowned supporter of the standards, and we're here to talk again. It's good to see you, Dr. Chen. Yeah, good to see you here. So in coming back for round two of our discussion, I'd like to start just by asking, what have you noticed with regard to the standards since we talked last? And you could think about things you're seeing in schools, how the standards are playing out, understanding of the standards from those that are teaching and coaching, mindset shifts. What are you, what are you seeing out there? If you allow me to be a bit impolite, I would see I see a lot of good things in K-8, but high school, not so much. And so far, I will report to you one interesting data point. When I ask a group of uh, high school teachers, well, how do you um, address these uh, SSE? And so far, 100% said, what? Mm. They have no idea what SSE stands for. And, and just so, for, so, our, for clarity for our audience, when you say SSE, you're talking about the, the domain? Uh, yeah, and it says same structures and right. expressions. Okay. And of course, they're teaching it. But the sheer fact that they don't know what I was talking about means they don't read the standards, at least not the heading, mm-hmm. the heading level, as we do in K-8. K-8, every teacher knows MBT, OA. And yeah, so it's different penetration. So the good news is that K-8, it is largely so happening for the ad- adoption state. And the most common complaint, however, is that not enough time. So mm-hmm. it, I consider that good news, that teachers know <laughs> that we aim to give kids more, but not enough time. How about the way that students and teachers are, are spending that time? Are, are you, do you have a window into that at all? I noticed one thing, that after these um, Common Core uh, introduction, more and more teachers, they are more willing to invest time in students' productive struggle. And again, thanks to that rigor requirements. So again, productive struggle, meaning using demanding problem, having the kids struggling over things. And, and it might look like it's wasting time. But when the kids are thinking, and you can see smoke coming out of their ears, it's actually doing something good to the kids. Mm. Even if they, could, they couldn't push it all the way, they can appreciate what's coming from others and from the teachers. They can appreciate that much better. And in terms of opportunities for improvement, I know you, so you brought up the seeing structure example. And, and when mm-hmm. you say that, that strikes me as an example of one way that the standards take a topic that mm-hmm. a lot of teachers are familiar with, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about algebraic expressions, which mm-hmm. is sort of the part of the meat and potatoes mm-hmm. of, of algebra and puts a different spin on it, right? Mm-hmm. Seeing structure in expressions. Let's just pause and appreciate what a, what a cool idea that is, right? Yeah. So is that a trend, do you think? Just sort of this idea of looking past the nouns, say, mm-hmm. right? Algebraic mm-hmm. expression, equation, yeah. number, and, and sort of more finely looking at some of those verbs mm-hmm. or, or some of the the higher order expectations yeah. in the, is that is that a yeah. fair capture yeah it is it is and in a way SSE it is more of a practice standard than a, mm. and a, a content standard because it is very good habit to have even from the get-go SSE should be taught in kindergarten 
and should be taught in second grade. And can I give you an example? For example I, I would love <clears throat> an example. That sounds great. Yeah. But let's say in second grade, we're doing multi-digit addition. Mm-hmm. And let's say I give you a problem. It is 12 plus 97 plus 88. I'll repeat. 12 plus 97 plus 88. Of course, you can add them up. But let's say the kids are trained to look at the problem before they hit the pencil. They look at 12, and they say, whoa, 12 and 88. Hmm, I smell something cool here. <laughs> so if they can see that kind of, um, you call it number sense, but it's actually bigger than that. It's seeing structures and expression. It'll help you save time. Hmm. So it's almost like a practice standard. Habits of mind we need to foster even from the get-go. So although it's a high school standard, but I claim that we're doing that across K-8. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. And we'll, we'll talk about the practices in a minute. On that same thread of what you're seeing, what, you know, what, what advice you'd give, for teachers and leaders that are looking to learn more or, or push themselves farther to reach these higher standards, what advice would you give them? How, how should they spend their time? Where would you point them? There's a very um, deep but fundamental way of answering your question, which is in USA, as a math teacher, we're dealing with a reality in which a lot of our kids are behind in their grade, one grade, two grades, or even more. And that's a reality of USA's math education that we need to deal with. And the corresponding side of the uh, math education equation is that Mathematics knowledge is ruthlessly cumulative. So combining these two, the only way to deal with this reality is every teacher almost have to invest time in training themselves in knowing more and more of earlier grade material so that they can become self-contained in helping their students. I, I, it's, a, it's almost like a necessity. I'm teaching third grade. I actually need to know kindergarten and first grade. If I'm teaching fifth, I need to know earlier grades. And, and it's, it's unpleasant to listen to, but it's, it's true. That's that favorite phrase of yours, ruthlessly cumulative. Yeah. I have to admit I've, I've stolen that and, and used it before. Yes. I've always attributed it to you, but I think you, yeah. you attribute it to someone else. Uh, right? Yeah, it is from this Harvard guy, Stephen Pinker. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Not a math educator, but he said it right. Yeah. So I have to steal it. Yeah. <laughs> one, one last thing before we get into some sort of more finer grain stuff. You hear a lot of talk about college and career readiness. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is it in these standards that, that you see that lets us know they are a good set of, of standards or benchmarks tied to college and career mm-hmm. readiness. Why are these standards going to propel students there? We are witnessing something that is almost unprecedented in the sense that in the past, education would prepare you to handle all the tasks you are running into. And, and what I'm talking about is that if you want to look at education uh, in the 18th century or 19th century and eventually public education history, you see that there's a component of, of craft, meaning you are preparing the kids 
for those skills, essential skills they will have to be applying in, in their day-to-day work. But more and more because of this uh, encapsulation of knowledge and this explosion of technology and leads to the following fact that a lot of knowledge you're learning is becoming irrelevant and sometimes useless. So the people calling the words 21st century skill maybe 10 years ago, and to me, it's almost like a misnomer. It, the 21st century skill actually is the same as the first century skill, which is it's called thinking, generic thinking. You're going to run into a situation you haven't seen before. So what are you going to do, Junior? That is the kind of skill that we are building. So although, although we are putting together these um, content standards and practice standards, and in a way, we are training. We, our hope is to use this kind of structure to train the students so that they would know how to handle tasks that they have never run into before. And if you want me to, I, we can go into the, uh, the exact content standards and practice standards that will bring this to life. But a lot of the classroom interactions, it boils down to the following. You might ask me, why are we learning algebra? Do kids, every kids need algebra? Right. And the answer is no. They probably, most of them grow up, they won't use algebra at all. So from that point of view, algebra is useless. However, algebra is doing something to their neurons. They're preparing their brains to handle unfamiliar tasks in rational and logical uh, fashion so that they can get somewhere. So ditto, do my, all my kids need to learn music? Or do my kids need to learn poetry? It kind of leads to the same theme of training our brains for uh, unforeseeable tasks. So on that note, let's talk a little bit about the mathematical practices. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, obviously a unique feature to the standards. We have some part of the standards that talk about math content. This is, this is what you should learn, but we have a set of practices or, or standards for mathematical practice to talk maybe a little bit about how students engage with, with the content. Um, so how should teachers be, be thinking about those two, two sets of standards? Day-to-day lesson plans, of course, will be structured around uh, the main progressions in the content standard. However, periodically, we want to ask ourselves as teachers, hmm, let me take a look at this rigor requirements, and then I'll take a look at the eight practice standards. First of all, the three rigor standards. I said, hmm, which leg am I hitting today? Am I hitting the computation fluency, procedural fluency today? Or am I emphasizing the conceptual understanding? Or am I doing applications, solving problems? These are kind of three axes, orthogonal axes you can use to place your emphasis. And it's not like every day you need to do all three. It's quite okay if you focus today and tomorrow on one of them and then come back and say, hmm, I need to do a better job on the second and third leg. And so over time, all three components of rigor are are being attended to. That being said, the eight practice standards will help us 
uh, to pull things together. Why? For example, um, the first one says, make sense of problems and persevere in solving them. And you look at it and say, hmm, okay, I got my lesson plan. Am I making my kids do that? And you say, hmm, how do I make them make sense of the problem? Duh. The problem needs to be not just a quick recall or kind of so mundane, so routine. So sometimes you need to throw curveballs, meaning even the reading would trip them up a little bit. Well, that's good. It's called make sense of the problem. So we're not being mean, okay? We are trying to walk the talk. It's called practice standard number one, make sense of the problem. When the kid said, I don't get it, fine, good. We trip them up, and now the job is to have them breathe and make sense of the problem. And then second half is persevering, solving them. And for that to happen, again, the question should not be just a, a quick recall kind of thing. That belongs in the category of, of computation fluency. Here it's about thinking through unfamiliar terrain. So persevering, solving them implies that they have to get tripped up a few times. Almost willing to give up, ready to give up, but didn't give up. It's called perseverance. So if you read that standard that way, the practice standards would kind of add interest, interesting twist to your day-to-day -day listen plan. So I'll repeat. We'll use the content standard to, uh, to guide the main content design, but then use practice standards to kind of dial in the pain you want the kids to suffer. Yeah, like, you know, sometimes you argue about definition, sometimes you argue about conceptual understanding, and those are all by design, by rubbing in the right amount of uh, practice standards you want. So they go hand in hand very nicely. And, and would you say, you know, obviously every day we don't address all of the content standards, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. we, we're strategic and we sequence things. Is it also the case that we'd be strategic about those those practice selections, right? Like you, you talked yeah. about MP1. Is there is there some kind of thinking around matching matching practices to content standards? Yes. Is, is, is that something folks should be thinking about? Yes. There are eight standards, and as a principal, when you walk into the classroom, you don't just get ready to use your pencil to check off all eight. That's really not the expectation. On a good day, if you can see one or two, it's pretty good already for that teacher. And on different days, if you walk in 10 times and you manage to check out seven of them over the 10 times, consider that a good, very good teacher. I think you ask a very, very good question we all need to think about. The, the, all these are kind of by design. For example, one of the, I think it's MP3, it, is, uh, it says, construct viable arguments and critique the reasoning of others. That sounds simple, but it's really hard to pull off. You want to let the students free, and they need to construct viable arguments, viable as they have to hold water, yes, and they have to um, logically be true. And then the, the second half says, critique the reasoning of others. You actually have to have the students learn, listen, learn to listen to each other, so much so that they understand other people's point, so much so that they understand the quirks in other people's reasoning, so you can critique them. 
So each standard, it actually takes a lot of effort to pull off. So as leaders and as teachers, we need to be patient with ourselves. It, it takes time to foster this kind of interaction mm-hmm. in our classroom. Yeah, and you, I think in listening to you talk, it made me think of a couple of things. The first is how hard it is to attend to the full meaning mm-hmm. of the practice standard, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We could stop at construct viable arguments, mm-hmm. but construct viable arguments and critique the reasoning of others, it's a, a higher bar, um, yeah. and, and those are really two different things. I mean, True. obviously closely related, but yes. a, a very important thing to keep in mind is is the full the full text of the standards. The other is that one in particular, I think a lot of people hold up as maybe the most important or the most pervasive and just how that can look very different, first of all, in different grades, but also the simple fact that a lot of doing mathematics is about constructing a viable argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, sometimes you, you read that standard and you pop into your head, you know, maybe someone writing a paragraph yes. or giving a speech, but it can also be done symbolically and, yes. and it can also be done pictorially exactly. and, and, and even in concrete ways with manipulatives. Exactly. Um, and, and it's important to keep in mind the, the breadth of that one in particular, exactly. I think. Yeah. yeah. In mathematics, um, construct viable arguments can be a simple picture and you point to it and that solves the problem. Right. And I think we t- earlier on we talked about CCR, meaning yep, college career readiness. College career readiness. In fact, this is college career career readiness standards too, in the sense that in actual work, you do need to make sense of the problem and pursuing and solving it, and you need to construct viable arguments and critique the reasoning of others to yeah. make uh, the, the 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 job related work productive. So these are all pretty much connected. I want to zoom in and talk a little bit about two practices mm-hmm. that are that are closely related. Yep. Every time I talk about the practices, I think I have a new favorite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my favorite right now is definitely MP7. Mm-hmm. Uh, look for and make use of structure. Yeah. Closely related to it is is MP8. Mm-hmm. Uh, look for and express regularity and repeated reasoning. Yep. We get a lot of questions about those. How are they different? How are they related? How do they play out in classrooms? Mm-hmm. So what's what's your take? Big big question, but yeah. what's your take on those? Yeah, this is a very um, good set of problems. I really admire you for, for, for asking these because 7 and 8, as you said, they are co- closely related in the sense that number 7, if you read it, it actually says look for and make use meaning you can look for them, and you find them, and you use them in a clever way, and you save time. But you know what? By the end of the day, you still don't know, under, know why it looks like that. I'll say that again. Number seven says, look for, and if you're clever, you can find them, and you use it, and it's productive. But you still don't understand it. Mm. And number eight is different. Number eight has to do with almost like creation of, of uh, new mathematics. You have to capture the essence mm. through some kind of understanding. So eight, it's related to seven, but it's a deeper, I would say it's a deeper version of seven. Mm. And if you allow me, I don't 
fully agree with what he said, but this is Scott Baldridge. All right. Our, main mutual, our, our mutual friend. Yeah, our mutual friend. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, I finally got it. He said, number seven, it's like inductive. And number eight is deductive. And I would say, let's, I would say 90%. I agree with him 90%. But there are some fine points I'd like to make. But it's largely true. I'll say that again. Number seven is about using some pattern in clever ways, but you might not fully understand it. But number eight, it says, usually it's after repeated reasoning, meaning you solve it one case, either using numerical values or something, you solve it, you go through the process once, and then you go through the process a second time, and you go through it a second, third time with different numbers, it's like multiple exposure through the same process, and you say, wait, wait. Is there something better I can fish out of this thing? And then go in there, and you capture that so-called repeating motif or regularity. You capture that essence, and you stare at that thing, and you say, I finally nail you, this sucker. And, 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 and a lot of cases, you actually fully understand it. Can I give you an example? Yeah, I was, yeah, I was just yeah. gonna, I was gonna try yeah. to, to go there. Yeah, let me give you an example. I, I, um, I think it's a bare bone one, you can see it. It is, it's a very simple question, okay? It's two numbers, their sum is five, and their difference is 12. I'll say that again. Two numbers, their sum is five, their difference is 12. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you're supposed to solve it? Okay. So you solve it. And you solve it. And you solve it. And of course, you can get it. The answer is what? Eight and a half and, and like three and a half and mm-hmm. negative one. So you solved it. But then I'll change the number again. Two numbers, the sum is one and the difference is three. And you solve it again. And you solve it again until it's kind of boring. Now you solve the problem multiple times, and you say, hmm, I've done it so many times. What is the, the, the gist of this thing? Okay, now let's solve a slightly different version, which is two numbers, their sum is S, and their difference is D. D for difference, and sum for S, S for sum. And you solve it again, and this time you end up with the solution, and if you massage them, they can look pretty symmetrical. Like one of the numbers s plus d divided by two, and the other number is s minus d divided by two. And you stare at them, and you plug in the numbers from before, and they all work. So apparently you derive the formula. But at this point in time, you still don't know why they look like that until you do more work. And then eventually you will hit the, the table and say, I finally nail you. I understand what I'm doing now. So this is kind of a level of understanding that you can only get after you go through certain process multiple times and you zoom out and try to get a clearer view. So that's why it's number eight, because it cannot be number one. <laughs> All right. In this example, I was trying to highlight the power of MP8. Okay. Because if you if you just use a, a 
tape diagram or something to draw it out. Of course, some plus difference. If you take some and add to difference, it's actually twice the length of the bigger number. So that's why it and the answer look like that. Mm. So you get a much deeper understanding of why a certain formula look like a certain way. So, and this was done only after repeated reasoning, and you try to capture the uh, regularity. Right. All right. So right. I use this to highlight number. Number eight. Number right. Eight, yeah. And I can think of a lot of cases across the grades mm-hmm. that, that where that might happen. The first one that comes to mind is the pattern in the number of zeros mm-hmm. when I multiply by a power of 10. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That sounds like an elementary example yes. where we might do, might do the same thing. Yeah. 3 times 10, 3 times 100, yes. 3 times 1,000. Yes. Um, I start to generalize a pattern. Any other examples like that come to mind for you? Yes. In Massachusetts, many states too, they are going through framework revision. And Massachusetts, we try to expand our SMP. So the SMP becomes grade-specific. So you're going to see a lot of good examples there. I'm going to point you to the soon-to-be-released Massachusetts okay. standard. You'll see an expanded version, grade-specific, for each SMP. Massachusetts, on, yeah. the, on the cutting edge, always. Try to. Yeah. Let's talk then a little bit about some of the key content areas. So obviously we do a lot of work. We try to support teachers with the mathematics and and with supporting students that might be struggling, right? So I want to talk a little bit about some key content areas Mm -hmm. and and some particular challenges teachers might have and how we might support them better. You obviously know know the progressions and in K1 and Mm 2, there's a really important sequence um, that gets us to fluency with adding and subtracting yeah. uh, within 20. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a whole progression that starts in kindergarten with the, the KCC and the KOA, and the, the 10A standards. If a student in grade two is, is struggling with that fluency, what might we point the teacher toward or, or help the teacher think about to support a student like that? Yeah. I'm glad you asked this question because... This is at the crux of a foundational issue. And I've, I've been involved in many states' uh, framework revision process, and there's a, one common theme. People are trying to tweak these uh, fluency standards. And by that, I mean starting from first grade, OA1, OA2, and second grade, OA, third grade, OA. They're trying to tweak it because it looks like there's it's a collection of different sounding things. They all have the word fluent in there, but they are sprinkled throughout uh, K to 8, uh, K to 6 to be specific. And I was glad that I had a chance to really talk to Common Core writers, Jason Zimba and, and Bill McCollum, about it and learned firsthand the following things. I'm going to share with you that the development of fluency standards or the fluency along the way, it goes through a very interesting trajectory. And it goes like this. Although the goals, I'm going to highlight the, the, the main point here. Okay. The goal is by the time they hit grade four, five, six, they are going to be fluently using standard algorithm to handle multi-digit operations. 
So four, five, six, multi-digit using standard operations to go to do addition, subtraction, multiplication, and eventually division. And in sixth grade, we're rubbing decimals. Right. So that's the goal. That's the goal. Starting, we start to collect these goals at fourth grade. But before that, K to three is more gentle. It's written in a very consistent language. I'll say that again. In grades four, five, six, it's written in a very consistent harvesting language, multi-digit operation, using standard algorithm, nothing else. Starting in kindergarten, grades one, two, three, there's a gentler version of fluency de development, and it goes like this. Instead of standard algorithm, it keeps using the word strategy, strategy, using mm -hmm. various strategies so that they understand. And what's the, what's the difference between a, a strategy and an algorithm? Yeah. Strategy is like whatever goes, whatever. You draw a picture and you count. You use very slow but painfully slow but correct technique. And the kids, we want to earn the kids say, ah, that's what you're saying. And it is slow. It is not mature. But it's a nice strategy to win them over so they actually understand what they're doing. And that starts in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. I'll repeat again, I'm using dichotomy. After fourth grade, we harvest. Harvest using standard algorithm. But before th fourth grade, K123, we use strategies to win them over. And we go very slow, like you spell out. The first one is, milestone is 20. And even that one is very hard because 6 plus 7 is 13. Eventually, we want them to remember it. And it's in our standard. It's coded in our standard. By the end of second grade, we remember all the single-digit fact. It says recall from memory. That means instantaneously. I'll repeat again. By the end of second grade, we, want to, we are dictating in our standards single-digit fact should be there as expected. And again, this is after you spend tons of time teaching about why 6 plus 7 is, is 13. 6 plus 7 is 13. Now, Mary, can you tell me why 6 and 7 is 13? Well, there are so many ways to do it. And it doesn't matter. These are strategies. But at the same time, we are allowing and encouraging understanding through different strategies, we want to tighten the loop, tighten the loop, and said, cut the crap, by the end of second grade, you need to memorize these. And by the end of third grade, you need to memorize multiplication facts, single digit facts. But can, can you tell the difference? The fourth grade version is multi-digit fluency using standard algorithm. But here we are talking about in lower grades, the goal is to accomplish two things. One is total understanding of single-digit operation. What makes six? What makes five? What makes ten? And that's an important one. Because without those, we're not going to hit your first standard, fluency within 20. It's no can do, unless we are so playful and be patient. And, and when you said, how do we do it? Include parents. Include parents. And includes all hooked on phonics, every 
techniques you can use. Just get it in there. The understanding plus single-digit facts. And those, we shouldn't be shy about it. I'll repeat one more time. Single-digit facts meaning 2 plus 3 equal to 5. That has to be automatic. Or 6 plus 7 equal to 13. That needs to be automatic. And so I, I hope this is clear enough that um, the fluency standard, it, it's, it's written in a very coherent way, but in two chunks. And they don't contradict each other. So we try to be motherly and stressful um, conceptual understanding first. But then 4, 5, 6, it is standard algorithm, speed, fluency, multi-digit. That's all the time we're going to have to chat today. I know it was it feels short, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but thank you very much, Dr. Chen. We've been talking to Dr. Andrew Chen about all things standards in math. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, you're welcome.